welcome to Over Innsmouth. Innsmouth. Oh my oh, god. Christ. I'm so How sorry. How dare you? Oh. I'm not even going to let you take that over. Okay. Yeah, we're just going to we're just going to go with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to Over Innsmouth, where we read an HP Lovecraft story to one another, sometimes more than one other person. I'm Faith, and with me today is hopefully somebody that doesn't write some racist trash about Africa. Jesse. Hey, 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 I, um, I'm, I don't know if I'm too dumb, but I'm definitely not, like, I don't have an inkling to want to. Like, I'm not even write, like, yeah. non-racist stuff about the continent Africa. Yeah. Like, generally, that's just not our jam. Yeah. I'm gonna write about stuff in, in my room, because it's the only, I'm a solace, I'm a solacist, I forget how to say that. But um, anything outside of my room doesn't exist right now. Faith is just a figment of my imagination who I'm currently manifesting. I'm just a voice in your head. I'm not real. Yeah, I'm just real good at, uh, what's that word? I'm real good at improving with myself. <laughs> All right. So, yes, today we're going to read the facts concerning the late Arthur Germain and his family. Um... And the blurb in my book says, This story, written in the latter half of 1920, is one of the most effective of Lovecraft's early macabre tales. Its powerful, its powerful opening paragraph anticipates the opening of The Call of Cthulhu. It is one of Lovecraft's first tales of hereditary degeneration. The suggestion that the protagonist is directly descended from a Darwinian beast. The full title of the story has rarely been used aside from its first appearance in The Wolverine, and it was published twice in March and June of 1921. Lovecraft was mortified when the story appeared in Weird Tales in April 1924 as The White Ape, as he remarked in a letter, If I ever entitled a story The White Ape, there would be no ape in it. <laughs> Lovecrafty. Ooh, wait, 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 Ugh. wait. Before you, before you do, before you do anything. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> gets me every fucking time. Christ, I love, oh my god. I'm just saying, that's a real, real Lovecraft way to just go down. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my gosh. Wow, this was published three times within three years. Well, that's... So I guess people really liked it. Well, apparently its first paragraph is a foreshadowing of Call of Cthulhu or something, which I don't necessarily understand that. Yeah. Okay, wait. Do I... Am I dumb in not understanding what that means? Let's see... Read that sentence one more time. Anticip yeah, the its powerful opening paragraph anticipates the opening of the Call of Cthulhu. So I think it's like it lays like the groundwork that would be the opening paragraph for Call of Cthulhu. I don't like it's this like I feel like saying laying the what? groundwork or something to that effect would make more sense. 
Yeah, I know, right? Like, because like, but like, participate, anticipating, like that's like, you know, wait, waiting. Yeah. Certain, right? Am I dumb? Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe is this old timey speak? Is that what this I, is? I can't. I just can't. I mean, admittedly, in the last story we read, they're like, none of the, the spooky stuff that happens fit together when it did. So Yeah, maybe maybe they're just not... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just don't know. Whatever. Anyways, let's get on this roller coaster ride. I have a feeling that this will be good in some ways and also hideously racist at times. I feel like it's going to be kind of like... So, my prediction... It's, it's going to uh-huh. be kind of like the Tarzan books, where it's yes good, but also really racist. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, they were. But again, like, there's a reason why people still adapt them without the racism, because they had a real good story. Sir, yeah. But, also, I think Edward Rice Burroughs would have been a uh, contemporary of uh, Lovecraft, am I thinking, right? Maybe. Uh, let me let me see if I remember my my turn of the century authors as well as I thought I did. Edward Rice. Edward. I forget how he spelled Burroughs. I'm just gonna go for it and let B U R O O U G H. Uh yeah, he would have been. He did not live long. Mm. Oh no, he was seventy four. Never mind, he was old. No, no, he um yeah he would he I mean he would have been. I don't know if contemporary is the right word, but he he was born and lived longer than Lovecraft. Yeah. Um. So he most likely would. His publishing history would have been around the same time as Lovecraft, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that he wrote um, the land that time forgot. Anyways, is that the is that the one that the Hollow Earth thing is the Hollow Earth. I think so. Okay. No, that's Journey to the Center of the Earth. Is is it a is both involve dinosaurs though, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Maybe it is one of I don't remember it that well, honestly. It's been a long time. Maybe it is one of those hollow earth ones as well. I don't know. I I know I'm just trying to get a more hollow earth stuff because I I need to <laughs> just more, please. No. Oh. oh it is. It is one of the hollow earth ones. None of them going to be... It's very similar to Journey to the Center of the Earth, so I always get those confused. None of them is as crazy as the the first, one of the first Hollow Earth things, which was written in, like, the 1600s. None of them is. It involved, it involved, oh, like... Oh, cool. yeah. Like, I did an episode on Creepy Critters about it, called the Mike Omega Micros. Um, oh, gosh. It involved a lot of incest and colonialism. Sometimes those two go hand in hand. Well, some would say it does, and it always has been. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, yes. Well, of course, it's crazy. It's the 1600s. Women used to put nightshade oil in their eyes to make them look more attractive. Like it was just a wild time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into this mess. Facts concerning the late Arthur Germain and his family. By H.P. Lovecraft. Life is a hideous thing, and from the background, behind what we know of its pure, demonical hints of truth, which make it sometimes a thousandfold more hideous, science already oppressive, 
with its shocking revelations, will perhaps be the ultimate exterminator of our human species. If separate species we be, for its reserve of unguessed horrors can never be borne by mortal brains if loosed upon the world. So I'm going to say, um, that's a, I don't know if that was a full paragraph, but, um, no, no, there's more. <laughs> wow. I'm just saying this is starting out pretty good. Cause I'm just like, this is really I'm good. Just like, yeah. I'm just like mood, mood. Yeah. Life sucks. Same. Yeah. You know, just get rid of us. Yeah. Just get rid of us. Same. T- science. Same TV. Si- science sucks. <laughs> so does life. We do. I don't know. Whatever. Just, just get rid of us. Yeah. Get out of here. That, be- us. that being said, if. I, I do apologize. I thought it was about finished. It felt like it was finishing its paragraph. Uh, it's it's thought. If we knew what we are, we should do as Arthur Germain did. And Arthur Germain soaked himself in oil and set fire to his clothing one night. No one placed the charred fragments in an urn or set a memorial to him who had been. For certain papers and certain boxed object were found, which made men wish to forget. Some who knew him did not admit that he ever existed. Man. Fuck, dude. I, I, you know what? <laughs> Maybe this is not so racist. Because I feel like this is going to be the racist dude. And already, like, he's had his comeuppance. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm, what, what I'm just saying right now is, like, that dude, I mean, that dude predicted a lot of stuff. Um, Like, if I could sue, if I can sue my mom and dad, I would. Because they, they've. <laughs> I would sue them for emotional damages. Um, how dare you? I know, you? like, why? How dare you? Were at least twenty when you had me. You should have known this that you were bringing. Yeah. what you're bringing me into. You had, you had two decades. Yeah, a, two of them. And if you're my dad, five. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why I'm, I can't get into my family. They always get that. I that's for- sad. <laughs> I, that's a very sad. I forgot about that part. <laughs> my mom wasn't even twenty. She was still Oof. a teenager. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's talk about this man's horrible death and the horrors that precipitated it. Arthur Germain went out to the moor and burned himself after seeing the boxed object which had come from Africa. It was this object, and not his peculiar personal appearance, which made him end his life. May, many would have disliked to live if possessed of the peculiar features of Arthur Germain, but he had been a poet and a scholar, and had not minded. Learning was in his blood, for his great-grandfather, Sir Robert Germain, for his great-grandfather, Sir Robert Germain, had been an anthropologist of note, whilst his great-great-great-grandfather, Sir Wade Germain, was one of the earliest explorers of the Congo region, and had written eruditely of its tribes, animals, and supposed antiquities. Indeed, old Sir Wade had possessed an intellectual zeal amounting almost to a mania. His bizarre conjectures on a prehistoric white Congolese civilization earning him much ridicule in his book Observations on the Several Parts of Africa was published. In 1765, this fearless explorer had been placed in a madhouse at Huntingdon. This uh, this is going to turn out to be racist, by the way. You can tell because they, oh, yeah. they do the thing where it's just like, oh, it can't possibly be a civilization. 
civilization of smart brown people. There can't possibly. There has to be like some white people here. There has to be a aliens. white people here. Or a- oh my god, I hate oh <sighs> that really yeah that really gets to so, be in my bonnet. Yeah, I fucking hate the aliens thing. <laughs> Yeah. Why are all these pyramids and all these civilizations? I don't know, because it was the best way to make a tall building. Yeah. And it looked cool. Yep. Madness was in all the Germines, and people were glad there were not many of them. The line put forth no branches, and Arthur was the last of it. If he had not been, one cannot say what he would have done when the object came. The Germines never seemed to look quite right. Something was amiss, though Arthur was the worst, and the old family portraits in Germain House shooed fine faces enough before Sir Wade's time. Certainly the madness began with Sir Wade, whose wild stories of Africa were at once the delight and terror of his friends. It shooed in his collection of trophies and specimens, which were not such as a normal man would accumulate and preserve, and appeared strikingly in the oriental seclusion in which he kept his wife. The latter, he had said, was the daughter of a Portuguese trader whom he had met in Africa, and did not like English ways. She, with an infant son born in Africa had accompanied him back from the second and longest of his trips and had gone with him on the third and last, never returning. No one had ever seen her closely, not even the servants, for her disposition had been violent and singular. During her brief stay at the Germain house she occupied a remote wing and was waited on by her husband alone. Sir Wade was indeed most peculiar in his solitude for his family, for when he returned to Africa he would permit no one to care for his young son save a loathsome black woman from Guinea. Upon coming back after the death of Lady Germain, he himself assumed complete care of the boy. Oh boy. I'm just going to imagine instead of the boy, it's the child and we just a little baby Yoda. <laughs> no, you can't take care of him. It's only me. I would understand then. This is like, no, he's he's my baby. He's not yours. He's mine. I will fight multiple robots for this baby. <laughs> I will fight every robot for, except for one. But that's because he's a real good robot. Yeah, I love IG-88. But it was the talk of Sir Wade, especially when in his cups, which chiefly led his friends to deem him, which chiefly led his friends to deem him mad. In a rational age like the 18th century, it was unwise for a man of learning to talk about wild sights and strange scenes under a Congo moon. Of the gigantic walls and pillars of a forgotten city, crumbling and vine-grown, of damp, silent stone steps, leading intermittently down into the darkness of abysmal treasure vaults and inconceivable catacombs. Especially was it unwise to rave of the living things that might haunt such a place, of creatures half of the jungle and half of the impious aged, impiously aged city, Fabulous creatures, which even a Pliny may describe with skepticism, 
things that might have sprung up after the great apes had overrun the dying city, with the walls and the pillars, the vaults and the weird carvings. Yet after he came home from the last time, Yet after he came home for the last time, Sir Wade would speak of such matters with shudderingly uncanny zest, mostly after his third glass at the knight's head, boasting of what he had found in the jungle, and of how he had dwelt among terrible ruins known only to him. And finally he had spoken of the living things in such a manner that he was taken to the madhouse. He had shewn little regret when shut into the barred room at Huntingdon, for his mind moved curiously. Ever since his son had commenced to grow out of infancy, he had liked his home less and less, till at last he had seemed to dread it. The knight's head had been his headquarters, and when he was confined, he expressed some vague gratitude, as if for protection. Three years later, he died. Oof. I do like those descriptions. Wade Germain's son, Philip, was a highly peculiar person. Despite a strong physical resemblance to his father, his appearance and conduct were in many particulars so coarse that he was universally shunned. Though he did not inherit the madness which was feared by some, he was densely stupid and had given to brief periods of uncontrollable violence. In frame, he was small, but intensely powerful, and was of incredible agility. Twelve years after succeeding to his title, he married the daughter of his gamekeeper, a person said to be of gypsy extraction, before his son was born, joined the navy as a common sailor, completing the general disgust which his habits and mesalliance had begun. After the close... After the close of the American War, he was heard of as a sailor on a merchantman in the African trade, having a kind of reputation for feats of strength in climbing, but finally disappearing one night as his ship lay off the Congo coast. So, I'm just saying, that <laughs> description of a person is wild. <laughs> so, can, can, I tried really hard not to laugh when they say it. He was densely stupid. No, like when you described him, it's like okay, so like you know, like he looks kind of like his father, but also like just really coarse. It just everyone he, hated he's him. Like, <laughs> he's like a smaller, angrier, stupider version of his father. Is basically how they described like, him, and everybody fucking hated that's him. How, that's how you describe. <laughs> That's how you describe a child, <laughs> not a full-grown man. <laughs> Apparently nothing much changed, except he got stronger. <laughs> like, he didn't get taller, he just got stronger. That was the only difference between his childhood and his adulthood. He's just an intensely powerful, <laughs> fast man who everyone hates. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I too would be absolutely terrified of a very dumb, very strong twelve-year-old. <laughs> you are scared. I'm already kind of afraid of twelve-year-olds. <laughs> then you make them really strong, and I'm not down for that. Man, <laughs> like this, like, this guy. This guy <laughs> feels like the uh, like the character in the anime that's basically just the the shonen anime that's basically just the best friend of the main dude. 
who's like just oh, yeah. like just real tough and the guy who you explain everything to. He's real tough and he's real dumb, and those are his two personality traits. Oh, and he loves his friend. That's the only other thing. He's basically gone. Oh my god, he is. <laughs> like Killua Killua is just, just like Killua is basically like, hey, please ex- please excuse my extremely dumb strong friend here. <laughs> please, I love him and he loves me. <laughs> Please, I promise, he's a really good friend. But also, he will turn into this weird, tall, buff guy with uh, infinitely tall hair? Oh, yeah. I don't don't understand that part. (laughs) But at the same time, I don't know. Watch Hunter x Hunter. I mean, it's it's great. It's good. Except for, I don't, okay, parts of it turns, like, just okay for, like, 50 episodes, because they do the Chimera Ant arc for way too long. Dear Hunter Hunter, please sponsor us <laughs> on this podcast that is completely unrelated to Hunter Hunter. <laughs> I don't know. There's some Lovecraftian horrors. I mean, have you seen Husuke? Husuke? Let's <laughs> let's get back to this <laughs> this very stupid, very strong twelve year old. <laughs> <laughs> In the sauna of Sir Philip Germain, the now-accepted family of peculiarity took a strange and fatal turn. Tall and fairly handsome, with a sort of weird eastern grace, despite certain slight oddities of proportion, Robert Germain began life as a scholar and investigator. It was he who first studied scientifically the vast collection of relics which his mad grandfather had brought from Africa and who made the family name as celebrated in anthology as an exploration. In 1815, Sir Robert married a daughter of the 7th Viscount Brightholm, and was subsequently blessed with three children. By the way, it's Viscount. Viscount. Oh, it is Viscount. I've never actually heard it said out loud. No, I I remember someone saying it out loud and saying, just like, I don't know, it's like French or something. (laughs) <laughs> oh god that explains it of course it's fucking french oh hey here's all these letters that you're not going to pronounce oh here's an extra vowel just for fun and yes you do have to say the extra vowel yeah but it's viscount there's extra s there okay or it's two viscount. soft s's oh god viscount. why french viscount why? no 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 why? i'm putting too many, too many so how do you do two c's in a row Two C's, yeah. you just you die. I don't know. Well, just, just <laughs> like okay. Just mid sentence, you drop dead. Just make sure that you say that uh, the S with a soft S, but a hard C. I'm joking. Vice count. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna say, please don't ask me. I've spoken American English my entire life, Jesse. No. It's the stupid kind of English, and English is already dumb. Well, no, because because like because if you do like a hard if you do like a hard C, well, no, if you do a soft C, the soft C sounds like an S. Oh God! Yeah, so just do two <laughs> soft S's. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be funny if it was a a soft S and a soft C? So it's just just out. <laughs> well, no, no, because if you do a soft C, it sounds more like a. If you do a soft S, it sounds more like a C. But if you do a soft C, it sounds like an S. There it is. I'm That's what kidding. I was trying to say. Oh. Yeah. So I'm you just, just switch just it. Gonna... So it's so it's a Vic's count. 
Vix count. Vix count. <laughs> okay. A Vix vapor robe. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In 1815, Sir Robert married a daughter of the 7th Viscount Brightholm and was subsequently blessed with three children, the eldest and youngest of whom were never publicly seen on account of deformities in mind and body. Saddened by these family misfortunes, the scientists thought relief in work and made two long expeditions in the interior of Africa. In 1849, his second son, Neville, a singularly repellent person who seemed to combine the surliness of Philip Germine with the hauteur of the Brightholms, ran away with a vulgar dancer, but was pardoned upon his return in the following year. He came back to Germine House, a widower with an infant son, Alfred, who was one day to be the father of Arthur Germine. I'm just... Ah, oh man, I... Like it feels. What is this fucking family? It, They're even marrying outside of their line, and the things still get fucked up. One of them got like a non-white person, and they still managed to get messed up. They had <laughs> me- they had mixed babies. They did. Like that's how you, that's damn. That's how you unfuck the white genetics line. You fuck a, like a non-white person, and like it, you get better genes. I like th- yeah, may- maybe. I don't know. Also, what's a, a vulgar dancer? I know what they mean. I know what they mean. It's like a stripper or something. <laughs> but I also like to think of it just like someone's just like, when they dance, they just, they just yell out curse words. Like, it's just like, cunt, fuck, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, oh my god, I'm in love. God, I'm so... <laughs> irresistible. I'm so repellent, but this dancer is so vulgar. <laughs> Yeah, I like how every other person in this family line is like just like a shitty person. Like everybody fucking hates them. I mean, I mean, Sir Robert was handsome. Yeah, Sir Robert was okay, but his father sucked, and now his son sucks. Yeah, it's kind of like how all the uh, extreme debilitating um, mental disorders in my family uh, seem skip a generation. No, 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 don't skip a generation. They skip kids. So I got lucky. Ooh. My little sister got fucked. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. So you know, I think somebody in my generation is supposed to have twins on my father's side. But guess what? It ain't gonna be me. <laughs> it's not gonna be my two gay cousins either. You never, you never know. Maybe, maybe your two gay cousins will become immaculately conceptive, and they'll be like the. Wait, are they are they of the fem or masculine? Masculine. You never know. Maybe they get immaculately conceptive. <laughs> maybe 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 they do the thing that I thought babies were for a while, they're just like big poops and then it turns into a baby. Plot <laughs> <laughs> <Fun> trips <laughs> the whole time. Thought it was a food baby, and it was just a real baby the whole time. Um, my, my other, the other thing I thought is because I saw a pregnant woman's belly, belly button, which just stuck out, and I thought that that the belly opened up like a like a pokeball. Ugh. Um, Ugh. yeah, no. Uh, by the way, I don't know how my young mind, which was horrified by body horror, thought of that and was not o- was okay with it. Um, <laughs> but I thought it just, I thought they just opened it up because, like, the thing is, my mom also had a C section. Oh, so okay. I saw that See, she that had makes a scar. sense. So I'm just like, yeah, that's where that's where they open it up. Obviously. Okay. See, 
that makes sense. That is rational logic after seeing something like that. And you're like a baby and you know nothing else. I mean, it's better than just like babies being big poops. (laughs) 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 It's just this shitty fucking family. There's so much to talk about with them. Every generation has something new and awful. Like I'm, I'm just looking forward to like realize, like them revealing that this was like the person that uh, that author that Arthur Jermyn like uh, bullied as a kid, and be like, hey, I'm, I'm like he hired him as his biographer. It was just like, well, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> Can you? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Let's talk about his entire ancestral line. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they ugly. He ugly. Everyone ugly. They're all ugly. Oh, and they're crazy too. And I. <laughs> and some of them were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> there was one. He was just like a really buff twelve-year-old. <laughs> so okay, so we're talking about. So we've talked about crazy future plans. My my new future plan is I'm going to somehow become a biographer, okay? I'm going to write two versions of the book, biography. One that is fair and nice to the person that the person reads. Then okay. the one where I'm just ducking off that actually turned in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, like, they're just like, yeah, I, I write this off. So, you know, they sign the release, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, and it's it's the one that with you just dunking on them, and they have to deal with it because because <laughs> because whatever whatever is just like, well, you signed off on this version, and be like, well, I never read it. Yeah, I must have not been reading like real night. Like, here's your signature right here. <laughs> yeah. So that's my oh, other. Fuck. That's that's my other uh, dumb plan. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Friends said. Friends said that it. Friend said that it was the series of griefs which unhinged the mind of Sir Robert Germain. Yet it was probably merely a bit of African folklore which caused the disaster. The elderly scholar had been collecting legends of the Onga tribes near the field of his grandfather's and his own explorations, hoping in some way to account for Sir Wade's wild tales of a lost city peopled by strange hybrid creatures. A certain consistency in the strange papers of his ancestor suggested that the madman's imagination might have been stimulated by native myths. On October 19, 1852, the explorer Samuel Seaton called at Germain House with a manuscript of notes collected among the Ongas, believing that certain legends of a gray city of white apes ruled by a white god might prove valuable to the ethnologist. In his conversation, he probably supplied many additional details, the nature of which will never be known, since a hideous series of tragedies suddenly burst into being. When Sir Robert Germain emerged from his library, he left behind the strangled corpse of the explorer, and before he could be restrained, had put it all had put an end to all three of his children, the two who were never seen, and the son who had run away. Neville Germain died. Neville Germain died in the successful defense of his own two-year-old son, who had apparently been included in the old man's madly murderous scheme. 
Sir Robert himself, after repeated attempts at suicide and a stubborn refusal to utter any articulate sound, died of apoplexy in the second year of his confinement. I mean, at least Neville, like, you know, is okay. Yeah, at least he protected his son. And at the same time, again, like, you know, if I figured out my mom protected me at age two before I had real sentience, I should say sapience, before I had sapience, I would be very angry because, again, I want to sue her for, for emotional damages. Yeah, rude. rude. Very rude. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, boy. Now we're getting to Sir Alfred Germain. Sir Alfred Germain was a baronet before his fourth birthday, but his tastes never matched his title. At 20, at 20, he had joined a band of music hall performers, and at 36, had deserted his wife and child to travel with an itinerant American circus. Okay, so, so remember when his father, like, died saving him? Uh, he should have not. Like, cause this, this <laughs> his baby sucks. <laughs> You <laughs> became like that asshole who plays Wonderwall in the, like, in the common area of the dorms, and then he became a fucking carny <laughs> and deserted his wife and child. That's the biggest thing. Who imagine dying for this shitty person? <laughs> like, you know? Wow, I can't believe I can't believe my son went on to be to play Wonderwall and become a carny. I, you know what I would do. If I if I what? if I was uh if I was Neville, I'd come back and kill him myself and just take back his life <laughs> that he stole from me. Come back from the dead. Like I'll be like, well, f- fuck this, fuck this, oh. fuck this kid. <laughs> oh, I just read a little bit farther. Okay, so this gets good. Okay, good. Sorry, I just, I'm just, I'm just real. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm yeah, real upset with it. His his father died. Not even like paragraphs before. And he's just like, whoop, I'm going to be uh, real shitty. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, so this gets better. Don't worry. It, it redeems itself. Okay. His end was very revolting. <laughs> Among the animals in the exhibition <laughs> with which he traveled was a huge bull gorilla of lighter color than the average. A surprisingly tractable beast of much popularity with the performers. With this gorilla, Alfred Germain was singularly fascinated, and on many occasions, the two would eye each other for long periods through the intervening bars. Eventually, Germain asked... Are they gonna gonna fuck? (laughs) No. (laughs) Jesse, no. (laughs) You would think that. Are they... Are they... It's like... You know, you know, me and H.P. Lovecraft's character really loves white things <laughs> it's true it's true i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> uh, sorry <laughs> like they just eye each other like they're just like <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. this is like the undulatingly <laughs> part of um what was it i can't remember the undulatingly that sparked the inherent eroticism oh and dagon a day gone undulatingly. Oh no 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 the undu- no no it was another was it it was either I think was it the temple no it no just, it was another no one. it was Cephala it was Cephalus Cel- yeah Cephalus yeah. undulatingly yeah. ooh 
Eventually, Germaine asked and obtained permission to train the animal, astonishing audiences and fellow performers alike with his success. One morning in Chicago, as the gorilla and Alfred Germain were rehearsing an exceedingly clever boxing match, the former delivered a blow of more force than usual, hurting both the body and dignity of the amateur trainer. Of what followed, members of the greatest show on earth do not like to speak. They did not expect to hear Sir Alfred Germain emit a shrill, inhuman scream, or to see him seize his clummy, his clumsy antagonist with both hands, dash it to the floor of the cage, and bite fiendishly at its hairy throat. The gorilla was off its guard, but not for long, and before anything could be done by the regular trainer, the body which had belonged to a baronet was past recognition. Oh my god. <sighs> I swear, whoever wrote this hated this family. Right? Like, yeah. Also, that is, like, one way to die, too. Like, Christ. Fuck, yeah. Like... You got mad at a gorilla to beat the shit out of you. Like, really? Like, have you seen... First off, like, look at the reach on that gorilla. First yeah, off. why would you fight a gorilla? Have you like, seen a gorilla? Oh, you... Okay, PSA. Wait, sorry, I have to set this up. <laughs> PSA. <laughs> Public service announcement. Yeah, so I have a PSA for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're, when you're, you know, fighting a gorilla, maybe, just, just, uh, don't get it mad. Really, a lesson, a lesson you can take home with you. <laughs> a lesson Arthur Germain should have known. Christ, this is... This- or Alfred Germain, excuse me. <laughs> okay, well... So I, Alfred Germain, you dumbass. Well, you know, we're finally gonna... I th- see, I thought we were gonna get to the point where we're gonna talk about, you know, author. Um, but, you know, we're still in the Alfred. Yeah. So Well, now we're to Arthur. Arthur is the next... This is the second part. So the first part... The first half of this whole story is talking about how shitty the Germain family is. It's like, alright, we're gonna talk about Arthur Germain, but first... <laughs> Let's talk about this shit show. I'm sure there are other fun things in there. Alright, let's do this. Part 2 Arthur Germain was the son of Sir Alfred Germain and a music hall singer of unknown origin. The husband and father deserted his family. The mother took the child to Germain House, where there was none left to object to her presence. She was not without notions of what a nobleman's dignity should be, and saw to it that her son received the best education which limited money could provide. The family resources were now sadly slender, and Germain House had fallen into woeful disrepair. But young Arthur loved the old edifice and all its contents. He was not like any other Germain who had ever lived, for he was a poet and a dreamer. Some of the neighboring families who had heard tales of, of old Sir Wade Germain's unseen Portuguese wife declared that her Latin blood must be shewing itself. But mostly persons merely sneered 
at his sensitiveness to beauty, attributing it to his music hall mother, who was socially unrecognized. The poetic delicacy of Arthur Germain was the more remarkable because of his uncouth personal appearance. Most of the Germains had possessed a subtly odd and repellent cast, but Arthur's case was very striking. It is hard to say just what he resembled, but his expression, his facial angle, and the length of his arms gave a thrill of repulsion to those who had met him for the first time. God damn, stop dunking on this poor man. He just... He just has a lot of feelings. Like, remember, remember when we did the reminiscence of uh, Dr. Samuel Johnson? When it was yes. just like, just Dr. Samuel Johnson and Duncan on everyone? I think <laughs> yeah. that's this is who the, who's the writer of this. <laughs> Dr. Samuel Johnson. Yeah. It was just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to read your, I don't need to read your shit to know your shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that. Whatever. You have a magazine? Good. I'm never gonna fucking read it. (laughs) It was the mind and character of Arthur Germain which atoned for his aspect. Gifted and learned... Gifted and learned, he took highest honors at Oxford and seemed likely to redeem the intellectual fame of his family. Though a poetic rather than scientific temperament, he planned to continue the work of his forefathers in African ethnology and antiquities, utilizing the truly wonderful, though strange, collection of Sir Wade. With his fanciful mind, he thought often of the prehistoric civilization in which the mad explorer had so implicitly believed, and would weave tale after tale about the silent jungle city, mentioned in the latter's wilder notes and paragraphs. For the nebulous utterances concerning a nameless, unsuspected race of jungle hybrids, he had a part- he had a peculiar feeling of unmingled terror and attraction, speculating on the possible basis of such a fancy, and seeking to obtain light among the more recent data gleaned by his great-grandfather and Samuel Seton among the Ongas. In 1911, after the death of his mother, Sir Arthur Germain determined to pursue his investigations to the utmost extent. Selling a portion of his estate to obtain the requisite money, he outfitted an expedition expedition and sailed for the Congo. Arranging with the Belgian authorities for a party of guides, he spent a year with the Onga and Kaliri country, and Kaliri country, finding data beyond the highest of his expectations. Among the Kaliris was an aged chief, Moanu, who had possessed not only a highly retentive memory, but a singular degree of intelligence and interest in old legends. This ancient confirmed every tale which Germain had heard, adding his own account of the stone city and the white apes as it had been told to him. According to Mawanu, the gray city and the hybrid creatures were no more, having been annihilated by the warlike Nibangus many years ago. This tribe, after destroying most of the edifices and killing the live beings, had carried off the stuffed goddess, which had been the object of their quest. The white ape goddess, which the strange beings worshipped, and which was led, and which was held by Congo tradition to be the form of 
one who had reigned as a princess among those beings. Just what the white ape-like creature could have been, Moanu had no idea. But he thought they were the builders of the ruined city. Germain could form no conjecture, but by close questioning obtained a very picturesque legend of the stuffed goddess. The ape princess, it was said, became the consort of a great white god who had come out of the west. For a long time they had reigned over the city together, but then they had a son, all three went away. But when they had a son, all three went away. Later the god and the princess had returned, and upon the death of the princess, her divine husband had mummified the body and enshrined it in the vast house of stone, where it was worshipped. Then he had departed alone. The legend here seemed to present three variants. According to one story, nothing further happened, save that the stuffed goddess became a symbol of supremacy for whatever tribe might possess it. It was for this reason that the Nabongos carried it off. A second story told of the god's return and death at the feet of his enshrined wife. A third told of the return of the son, grown to manhood, or apehood, or godhood, as the case might be, yet unconscious of his identity. Surely the imaginative blacks had made the most of whatever events might lie behind the extravagant legendary. Oh boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure it's gonna get worse, I can just tell. Of the reality of the jungle city, described by old Sir Wade, Arthur Germain had no further doubt, and it was hardly astonished when early in 1912 he came upon what was left of it. Its size must have been exaggerated, Yet the stones lying about proved that it was no mere Negro village. Unfortunately, no carvings could be found, and the small size of the expedition prevented operation towards clearing the one visible passageway that seemed to lead down into a system of vaults, which Sir Wade had mentioned. The white apes and the stuffed goddess were discussed with all the native chiefs of the region, but it remained for a European to prove to improve upon the data offered by old Moanu. M. Vahiran, Belgian agent at a trading post on the Congo, believed that he could not only locate but obtain the stuffed goddess, which he had vaguely heard. Since the, mon- since the once mighty Nabongus were now the submissive servants of King Albert's government, and with but little persuasion could be induced to part with the gruesome deity they had carried off. When Germain sailed for England, therefore it was with the exultant probability, the wildest of his great-great-great-grandfather's narratives, that is, the wildest which he had ever heard. Countrymen near Germain's house had perhaps heard wilder tales handed down from ancestors who had listened to Sir Wade around the tables of the Knight's Head. Oh boy. <laughs> Arthur Germain waited very patiently for the expected box from M. Verheren. M. Verheren. Meanwhile, studying with increased diligence the manuscripts left by his mad ancestor, he began to feel closely akin to Sir Wade, and to seek relics of the latter's personal life in England, as well as his African exploits. 
Oral accounts of the mysterious and secluded wife had been numerous, but no tangible relic of her stay at Germain House remained. Germain wondered what circumstance had prompted or permitted such an effacement and decided that the husband's insanity was the prime cause. His great-great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandmother, he recalled, was said to have been the daughter of a Portuguese trader in Africa. No doubt her practical heritage and superficial knowledge of the dark continent had caused her to flout Sir Wade's talk of the interior, a thing which such a man would not likely to forgive, would not be likely to forgive. She had died in Africa, perhaps dragged thither by a husband determined to prove what he had told. But as Germain indulged in these reflections, he could not but smile at their, futil at their futility, a century and a half after the death of both his strange progenitors. In June 1913, a letter arrived from Sir Vahiran, a letter arrived from M. Vahiran, telling of the findings of the stuffed goddess. It was, the Belgian averred, a mostly extraordinary object, an object quite beyond the power of a layman to classify. Whether it was human or simian, only a scientist could determine. And the process of determination would be greatly hampered by its imperfect condition. Time and the Congo climate are not kind to mummies, especially when their preparation is as amateurish as seemed to be the case here. Around the creature's neck had been found a golden chain, bearing an empty locket, on which there were armorial designs, no doubt some hapless traveler's keepsake, taken by the Mbangus and hung upon the goddess as a charm. In commenting on the contour of the mummy's face, M. Verheerd, M. Verheerd suggested a whimsical comparison, or rather expressed a humorous wonder, just how it would strike his correspondent, but was too much interested, scientifically, to waste many words in levity. The stuffed goddess, he wrote, would arrive duly packed about a month after receipt of the letter. The boxed object was delivered at Germain House on the afternoon of August 3, 1913, being conveyed immediately to the large chamber which housed the collection of African specimens as arranged by Sir Robert and Arthur. What ensued can be best gathered from the tales of servants and from things and papers later examined. Of the various tales of age of the various tales of age Solmes, the family butler, is most ample and coherent. According to this trustworthy man, Sir Arthur Germain dismissed everyone from the room before opening the box though the instant sound of hammer and chisel shewed that he did not delay the operation. Nothing was heard for some time, just how long Soames could not exactly estimate. But it was certainly less than a quarter of an hour later that the horrible scream, undoubtedly in Germain's voice, was heard. Immediately afterward, Germain emerged from the room, rushing frantically forward, the front of the house as if pursued by a hideous enemy. The expression on his face, a face ghastly enough for repose, was beyond description. When near the front door, he seemed to think of something, and turned back in his flight, finally disappearing down the stairs to the cellar. 
The servants were utterly dumbfounded and watched at the head of the stairs, but their master did not return. A smell of oil was all that came up from the regions below. After dark, a rattling was heard at the door leading from the cellar to the courtyard, and a stable boy saw Arthur Germain glistening from head to foot with oil and redolent of fluid, steal furtively out and vanish on the black moor, surrounded vanish on the black moor surrounding the house. Then, in exaltation of supreme horror, everyone saw the end. A spark appeared on the moor, a flame arose, and a pillar of human fire reached to the heavens. The house of Germain no longer existed. The reason why Arthur Germain's charred fragments were not collected and buried lies in what was found afterwards, principally the thing in the box. The stuffed goddess was a nauseous sight, withered and eaten away, but it was clearly a mummified white ape of some unknown species, less hairy than any recorded variety, and infinitely nearer mankind, quite shockingly so. Detailed description would be rather unpleasant, but two salient but two salient particulars must be told, for they fit in revoltingly with certain notes of Sir Wade Germain's African expeditions, and with the Congolese legends of the White God and the Ape Princess. The two particulars in question are these. The arms on the golden locket about the creature's neck were Germain's arms, and the jocose suggestion of M. Verheeren about a certain resemblance as connected with the shriveled face applied with vivid, ghastly, an unnatural horror to none other than the sensitive Arthur Germain, great-great-great-grandson of Sir Wade Germain, and an unknown wife. Members of the Royal Anthrop Anthropological Institute burned the thing and threw the locket into a well, and some of them do not admit that Arthur Germain ever existed. The end. Oof. Yeah, they kind of pulled <sighs> like a... They kind of pulled like a Tarzan thing there, but like a, a yeah. white ape of the Congo. Or, or, yeah. Yeah. I mean. That was. That's, that was a lot. That's something. Oh boy. Yeah. I think this is like one of the first ones we've done in a while that I wouldn't rank horribly high. I know, right? <laughs> it started out good. Like, trust me. Had it has a really good beginning. Had, that first half, I actually loved. Like it, <laughs> just dunking on the shitty family. Well, well, no, I also just like like just like yo, life sucks. Everything, like you know, why, 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 just why, why? You might why? as well just. I know that first. Fire. That first paragraph was so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, um, it goes downhill from there. It's just like oh, yep. it went crazy because there's like a. Fucking white dude from Africa. Like that. They might be related. Whoa. Yeah. Whatever. Fucking get over yourself. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, I don't know. Where do you want to rank that? Um. Uh, what are our. What are our lower 10? Okay, so lower 10. Beyond the Wall of Sleep, The Terrible Old Man, uh -huh. The Tomb. Uh huh. The Doom That Came to Sonarth, which is basically it, uh, The Alchemist, Beast uh -huh. in the Cave, The Reminiscence of Dr. Samuel Johnson, 
the transition of Juan Romero. That's the one where I learned a new slur for uh for Latin people. Oh boy! Oh yeah, um, <laughs> that's right. And uh, the street and old bugs. Um, I didn't read the transition of Juan one Ron Juan. I'm so sorry. Juan Romero. One Juan Romero. It's not good. Like, like Lovecraft himself didn't want it published because he it was just a thought experiment he did. He's like, it's bad and racist. Yeah. Well, it's like it's, but not as bad or as racist as Old Bugs and The Street. I think I, you know, like I mentioned it just because it did remind me of it. Um, the remin- uh, reminiscence of Doctor Samuel Johnson. Uh-huh. I'd put it probably around there. Yeah, below that. Probably. Okay. Well, I don't know. That first paragraph was, like, really good. And the first half of that story was enjoyable. Well, I mean, I could, I could, I could get behind that. Can we, can we split it, the two halves? Can we put the first half ahead of Samuel Johnson and the second half behind it? Yeah, we let's let's put it up. Let's put it above a reminiscence. Um, mostly because it did have, like, it seemed to be written in a way that wasn't horrible to read. Oh yeah, Which, yeah. Um, that was the one thing about the reminiscence of Samuel Johnson. That one was like so hard to read. Yeah, it's hard to listen to too, just because it's very dense. Also, um, I remember where I made a thing where be like hey why don't we like see if this would be like a good like horror video game or something no this would be boring uh-huh. no 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 this would be really boring so mm-hmm. i'm gonna say no a lot of these could be good horror games but that one's not oh one. yeah old bugs could be the- just the most horrible game where you have to talk to a teetotaler for five hours it's like a it's like a you know when PETA occasionally puts out those really shitty video games yeah. It's like one of those, but it's the government telling you not to drink. Yeah. <laughs> well. But yeah, like the temple would make a really good video game. I mean, we're on the third. I mean, we're technic. We're on the third decade so far. I mean, and we started Oof. off on a real, real bad note. <laughs> it's true. Well, <laughs> it's true. Well, um, it's, I don't know. I I can't really. It. I, oh. I can't. I this. There's so many. Like that first half was very fun, and then that second half just not good. Ugh, not good. Yeah. Real bad, actually. I'd say um, one out of ten would not read again. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So you could have just written the whole half about more of the shitty family, you know, and I would have loved if it. If you could have called it the uh, the the roast of the Germain family. <laughs> Of the family. <laughs> and I would have been okay with that. It would have been fine. Yeah, it would have been great. One can dream. Hopefully the next story is better. Well, I... Actually, I, uh, I think it will be better, actually. I saw the word I... cannibal in it, so I'm going to just assume yes. Ooh. Oh, I... Yes. I'm here for this. I, I'm here. I'm ready. I, I hear you. I'm, I believe in you. I'm here. I'm queer. I'm ready for the cannibalism. I'm here. I'm queer. Eat me. I'm dead. I'm so sad. Just let me, please let me go. At least you can feel happy. (laughs) So let's listen to this. Okay. 
Do you want to do any plugs? Do you just want to skip over them? I'm just going to skip over. I don't give, like, I don't care. Okay. I, I don't care about this. This is bad. Yeah. I thought about plugging McSpooky sweaters, but you know what? Um, oh, my new mic did ship, so pretty soon I'll be recording new stuff for that. Oh, cool. I know, I'm pretty excited. Well. All right, well, um, don't steal relics from another country, I guess, is the, is the, what we can get from this story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, don't steal relics, um, uh, stop being fucking coward, British Museum. Yeah, um, return. Return all of it. Other people's. Yeah, return other people's antiquities. They're theirs. They're not yours. Yeah. Okay, bye. Damn. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>